We've been talking about when the believer's books are audited in the judgment seat of Christ, stating that every believer someday is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine their salvation, but rather to determine their reward. It's not enough just to know Jesus Christ as Savior. It's necessary to know Him as Lord and to become His servant, His bond slave. Commit your total life to Jesus Christ. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all the other things will be added unto you. And whosoever he be of you is not willing to forsake all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever he be of you is not willing to take up his cross daily and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Paul the Apostle said, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He's saying that I want to emulate the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus Christ out through my life. That's the purpose, that's the goal, should be the goal of every truly born-again Christian. It's not a, an idea of coming and sitting in church and enduring an hour of preaching and teaching and music going home saying, I did my religious thing. This should be a time of rejoicing when we come together and rejoice together in what God's doing in our daily lives. This should be a time we come for instruction to go out and serve Him better during the week. So there's a tremendous difference between just easy believism and total commitment of our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what we've been talking about because in that day, that's what we're going to be judged for. How we spend our life. Every idle deed, every idle word that's spoken. Now, I want to make that very clear to you that when we talk about becoming a Christian, we're not talking about everyone who says, yes, I believe in Jesus because Satan himself believes in Jesus. If we believe in Jesus Christ and have made him Lord of our life, the fruit of the Spirit ought to be manifest in our life. There should be joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit, righteousness, all these things that, that should be manifest in our lives should be evidenced. Jesus said, he that says he loves me and does not keep my commandments, he's a liar. And the truth isn't in him. That person won't have to worry about the judgment seat of Christ. They'll be at the great white throne judgment in that day. So, it's not enough just to say we love the Lord. We have to show that by evidence. James says, show me your faith by your works. Show me your faith by your works. Let me see it. I don't want to hear it. I want to see it in your daily life. And we talked about the rewards to the believers. The first one was the incorruptible crown, which is available to any believer who is faithful to the end. Any believer who loves his appearing and waits for him and serves him and just can't wait for the Lord to come back and is faithful serving the Lord until he does come back. Now you say, well, brother, I have failed so many times. It didn't say you don't fail. It's not an idea that we're perfect, that we're sinless. It's the idea that we every day are trying to be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. When we miss it, we ask for forgiveness and we go on. We forget those things that are past and we press toward the mark. And those that are willing to do that till the end, the scripture says there'll be an incorruptible crown for them. Now we've been talking about the crown of glory. And that's for faithful ministers. And we've been talking about the qualifications of a minister here in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Last week we went through the 17 of the 18 different points that Paul brought out concerning a pastor. And I say again, it's not enough to just go and hear a preacher. The scripture says you should know them that labor among you, know them well. It's important for you to understand whether the one that you're sitting under is operating according to God's principles. If not, you can get into trouble as well as he's going to get in trouble sooner or later. And so this is, this is not an easy message to preach, let me tell you something. It's not easy for me to stand up here and tell you all the requirements there because I see so many flaws in my own life. So many times that I fall short. But it's my desire, my goal to be like this speaks of here in the, in first Timothy, the third chapter. 
We said last week that he's to be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth his own house well, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how can he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And the eighteenth one now is... A good report. That, and moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without. Now, that good report means an excellent testimony in general, a generally good testimony out in the world. Now, let me assure you, that does not mean that everybody out there in the world is going to love him. There are going to be some people who are going to criticize him no matter what he does. But in most cases, they'll be ashamed if ever they, what they're saying about him is exposed because his life will be such that they cannot prove that he is doing wrong. Uh, a good report of them that are without. It's talking about a reputation of having a quality of character that cannot be impugned. They know that he's honest, even though they don't agree with him. They know he's honest. They know he's hardworking. They know he's sincere. They know he's not going to cheat them. And I'll tell you, the, I said last week, uh, the, the world is maybe a poor judge concerning uh, doctrine and motives and so forth, but they're very keen and very accurate when they judge character. I've had people that have come to me in the past and say, yeah, you know that preacher over there? Well, I, I know this and I know that and I know the other thing about him. And you know something? The world expects more out of many Christians than many Christians expect out of themselves. And they're going to watch you and they're going to watch me, but they're especially going to watch somebody that's in leadership. Now, we've had a lot of failures lately in leadership in the church. And it's one of the signs of the end times. The enemy has gotten into the camp and he's tearing everybody up as much as he possibly can. But the word of God says that he must have a good reputation without why? Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, lest he lose that reputation and begins to be reproached, begins to be talked about, begins to be exposed by those around him, uh, and both believers and unbelievers, both believers and unbelievers will begin to say, yeah, I know that preacher, but I know, uh, you know, we've had occasions where policemen have had to come and tell the church did you know that your pastor is involved in this? Did you know your pastor did this? Did you know he was on the cellular phone the other day and we heard this? The church didn't know about it at all. Until finally he's so discouraged that he caught in the snare of the devil. One of the greatest snares of the devil is, is discouragement. Remember me talking some time ago about the tool of the enemy is discouragement? Come to a place and they just give up. Just walk away. But the scripture says it's required that he have a good testimony. I like what one pastor said after this TV expose that was given not too long ago concerning three different television ministries. said, if the church doesn't judge itself, the Lord will send the Babylonians in to do it for them. A lot of times the church does not judge itself, and then the Babylonians have to come in. And they have to judge it. And what an embarrassment that is to the church. Consequently, because of that, now more laws are being passed to try to correct the church's problems. One televangelist I just read yesterday in the Christianity Today magazine uh, has to pay a million and a half dollars back to some donors who had sent money in and designated it for a certain thing, and he used it for his own luxurious lifestyle. It was something like uh, $30,000. That's not a bad return on your money. The court just told him he has to pay them back a million and a half dollars. That's not going to happen too many times, but what preachers are going to realize that the IRS means business. You see, that's why I tell people, be very careful. We have to be very careful how we designate money in the church here. We can't, I can't designate, if I had a daughter in college or a son in college, I can't give money to the church and ask them to give it to my daughter and son in college and get a tax write-off. But there are some churches that are not careful as to how the money is used. If money is designated for a special use, 
it is illegal for that church to use it for any other purpose. And the world is going to judge it very, very quickly. Jesus said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of man. And that's why it's so essential when we talk about the crown of glory that we understand what's involved in it. I said, first of all, that a man of God is a faithful minister. Is first of all a man. He's not a superhuman person. He's just like you and I. Fail can fail just like anyone else. And uh, he's called of God. He's responsible. He's a family man. I gave, gave the different characteristics of his uh, being strong as far as his family is concerned. And then I want to go on to the next step concerning him. Not only is he a man, but a faithful minister is one who preaches Jesus Christ. He doesn't have some little hobby horse. He preaches Jesus Christ. There may be other aspects of his ministry, but the core, the center, the thrust of the message is Jesus Christ. Now we can get all these other things straightened out, but if we don't have Jesus Christ straightened out, nothing else is going to work. Remember of the, uh, the little boy that was trying to put a map of the world together and he couldn't put it together. He was working and working and getting very frustrated. And finally he came up all beaming and he said, look, daddy, I did it. And he said, well, that's wonderful. And you did it right. How'd you do it? He said, well, I, I couldn't figure out how to put the world together. But when I turned it over, I saw on the back there was a picture of Jesus. And when I got Jesus all put together, the world came out all right. We have to remember that that's going to happen in our daily walk too when we put Jesus Christ in his proper place. First Timothy, the fourth chapter, verses 12 and 13. Paul is talking now to Timothy, a young man, a young preacher. Here Paul is an older man. He's talking to Timothy, his spiritual son. And he said, uh, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, that word, give attendance to, in the Greek means, put it first. Put these things first in your life. What? Reading, exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with a laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meditate on these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Now, he gave four different things up there that he should go, first of all, to be an example of the believers in word. Now, that's talking about in the preaching or in sound doctrine. We're living in a day and age, believe it or not, and more and more Christian leaders are beginning to holler about it, that most churches want their preacher to tell them nice things, things that make them feel good. But when Paul the Apostle preached, if you'll read through the epistles of the New Testament, you'll find that in most cases he was correcting them, he was rebuking them, he was exhorting them, he was commanding them, telling them what they must or must not do. Secondly, he said, in conversation. That's talking about, as a young man, let your total conduct come back that represents and matches what you preach. When he speaks of conversation, he's speaking about the total conduct. In charity, he's talking about agape, agape love. Have a, an unconditional love for those with whom you're ministering. These are the requirements of a pastor. And then the next thing is the Spirit. He's talking there about, I believe, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit operating in the life of one who's in the ministry. Now, if one just operates in the fruit of the Spirit, that's wonderful, but there's not much power as far as being able to set people free. If you operate just in the gifts of the Spirit, you're not going to have much consistency in your daily walk where the fruit of the Spirit manifests 
the nature and character of Jesus Christ. The fruit of the Spirit talks about the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And he says that that must be manifest in your life also. And then when it talks about faith, he's talking about faithfulness. Faith means that we walk steadily, steadily along. We're not up and down in the Lord's navy. We're in the Lord's army. We go ahead. We go forward, not up and down. And he said that's another requirement for a pastor, that he be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as we know that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And then he said purity. Purity, that's a word that people don't like to talk about much today. And the reason for it is because we are bombarded with impurity. We're, in, we're being told that it's all, all these things are amoral. There's, it's neither moral nor immoral. I mean, it's just, there's no such thing as concrete. There's no such thing as absolutes. There are absolutely no absolutes. That's what we're told. You've got to believe me. There's just absolutely no absolutes. Which is a contradiction of terms in itself. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. We're talking about the fact that a preacher is to preach Jesus Christ. That's the center of his message. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 23. I'm going to read a large portion of Scripture here because it all applies. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. See, if anybody hung on the tree, they were cursed. How could he be our king? I mean, he hung on the tree. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are, which are mighty. Now let me tell you something, that really makes a preacher feel big. If you're called of God, then he's found something either small or foolish, and that's what he's using. Not very many are mighty are called. So he takes that which has no potential whatsoever, and then he uses it for his glory. And it goes on and says, And base things of the world, and, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Remember when we talked about Jesus Christ being born of the Virgin Mary, who did Jesus go to? He didn't go to the high priest. He didn't go to the king and tell them. He went out and told the lowly shepherds who didn't even have a good enough reputation to give a report in, in court. I mean, the lowest of the low and had them come in and witness this spectacular thing that happened. God takes the base, the most useless, the most worthless, worthless things as far as the world is concerned and then uses it for his own glory. Verse 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He said, I wasn't that eloquent. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's a powerful statement. That's all we need to know, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. If men can find that out, the rest of it can be straightened out after that. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And then and when the Greek, it almost implies that his, his knees were knocking when he came to try to present to them. Does that sound like a, a bold man of God? No, he was scared, to use a southern term. He was just plumb scared when he came to preach the gospel. But he came still with power. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Now let me tell you something. It's wonderful for us to study the scriptures. It's wonderful for us, wonderful for us to dissect, bisect uh, all the every uh, jot and tittle in the Word of God. What's more powerful is that we walk in the power of God, walk in the power of the Spirit. It's nice to know the Word, and the more we know it, the more we understand it, the more we can counsel people. But don't let that become your goal. Let the real goal get to what Christ said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might glorify Jesus Christ. You can know all the word, but if you don't know him, it's of no value whatsoever. You must come into that intimate, personal walk and relationship with him. This is what Paul's talking about to the church. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would, have, would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul says we have a special power, and if a man is called of God, he better understand that this is, this is what's going to win souls. This is what's going to change lives. The preaching of Jesus Christ, not with the wisdom of men, but with the power of God in his life. 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 5. Paul the Apostle says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. For we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us that the excellency of the dunamis may be of God and not of us. We can't do it. The Lord has to do it. The Living Bible says that this precious treasure, this light and power that now shines within us is held in a perishable container. That is, in our weak bodies, everyone can see that the glorious power must be from God and not ourselves. I'm telling you, some of the greatest men that I have known in the ministry down through the years have not been eloquent, well-educated men. They've been men who understood what it is to walk with Jesus Christ and have his power flow through their life. They don't have to say very much, but when they speak, there's a power and there's an authority there that uh, you can't argue with. Second Timothy, the fourth chapter. Paul again speaking to Timothy, the young pastor. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, the instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they'll not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears or telling them what they want to hear. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables or turned unto men's misguided ideas. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Make full proof of thy ministry. A preacher who is called of God, who is a faithful minister, will preach Jesus Christ. And the next aspect, next point, the third point is, he is one who will serve Jesus Christ. Serve Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, that's understandable. No, it's not really that easily understood. There are many pastors today who are serving people and not serving Jesus Christ. There are many pastors, like one man said, he will watch to see which way the crowd's going and then run up the front and say, follow me. And he's not listening to what the Lord says as much as he is to what people say and what people want him to do. And that's the difference between someone who is called against someone who is hired. 
That's the difference between someone who is called of God and someone who is playing a political game in the church. I still remember when my father-in-law, many, many years ago, my former father-in-law, who's with the Lord now, was in a church, and every year they were on pins and needles trying to find out, I wonder if we're going to be here another year, because every year the congregation got together, and many of them were about as spiritual as a train wreck, got together and they tried to decide whether, are we going to keep this preacher around for another year again? Let's either vote him in or vote him out. And I'd come away from that, talking to him, and I'd say, that is not of God. That's politics. He's hired and they can fire him at any moment. I would like for anyone to go out on the farm with me and show me when the lambs and the sheep get together out in the pasture and say, I wonder if we should have this same shepherd this next year. You know, he didn't feed me what I wanted this past year. In fact, he made me stand over there next to where the water was a little bit rougher than what I like. I like to be right where the water is real quiet. I think we ought to look around and get ourselves another shepherd, don't you? I can't tell you how many times today I hear people say, we just fired another preacher. We've gotten rid of two of them in the last two years. Greatest thing in the world. We've got rid of, you know something? Those men have not been called. They've been tired. You say, well, what if they're not good preachers? Well, if everybody left... Who do they preach to? You know what the problem is today? They get into trouble. The district superintendent comes in and says, i got another church for you over here. Go over there. He gets into trouble. i got another church for you over here. And they never hit the wall. And you know, sometimes people question me about this very subject. And I keep saying, you know, I really believe that God has put me here. And even in the darkest hours, I say, hey God, if you've got another signal, you give it to me. But until you give me another signal, I'm here. I'll stay here. I'll just keep doing what you told me to do. As best I know how to do it. And I know I don't do it very well a lot of times, but I'm going to do the very best I can. And You're going to have to do the rest. I mean, if you want to shut her down, you'll have to shut it down, but please let me know what you're doing. I just have to know what you're doing. I just want to be where you want me to be. And I tell people, if you don't get fed, don't stay. Go somewhere. If everybody leaves, then I'll have to quit. I'll just, I missed it. I missed it. I'll have to go back. But you see, it'd be very easy for me to call a district superintendent of some denomination and say, can you get me a church? I could go and, do you realize in 22 years how many sermons I've got stacked up in my drawers I could preach? I could retire. All I have to do is pull out a sermon and preach the next Sunday. I mean, it'd be wonderful. Can't do that. I've got to be where God called me to be. A pastor is not paid. A pastor is supported. You see, now you're getting picky. No, I'm not. A pastor is not paid. A pastor is supported. Paul the Apostle said in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, First chapter, first verse, Paul, a servant, doulos, bond slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, or one called out, separated under the gospel of God. He said, I'm not sold out to a denomination, I'm not sold out to a church, I'm sold out to Jesus Christ, who is my Lord and my Savior. Turn over to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, beginning with the seventh verse. Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? 
If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of, by the, of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Verse 14 now. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, the uh, Living Bible says those who preach the gospel should be supported by those who accept it. Not hired, supported. Not hired, but supported. Big difference. You ever heard people say, I quit giving my tithe. I hold back my tithe on that church. I say, you're dumber than the stump. It isn't your tithe. You're robbing God. You're using that as a weapon against God's servant. God's going to judge you for it. Then there's some people say, well, we hire a preacher. I, I actually, I have actually had people in the past say, well, we thought that when we had quit supporting the church, the church would go under. I said, the church is not going to go under. Can't go under. It belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to you. If God can't, can't depend on you, he'll find someone else that will support you. And time and time again, down through the years of this ministry, God has sent somebody through here and they've said, here, God told me to do this, God told me to do that. I remember a Sunday, maybe Ed and Skipper remember a Sunday when a couple came here, walked back in our nursery and said, you know, you need carpeting in the, in the nursery. And we said, yeah, we know that. And they said, we want to take care of that. They came in and put down the carpeting in the nursery and the padding in the nursery. Never came back. Never, never came back to church again. Some ladies came and went upstairs. You need curtains in your Sunday school room up here. They went out, fixed the curtains, came back, put them all up, left, never came back. God has a way of doing it. He, he can do it any way he wants to do. Because it, it's supported by the Lord. And he says, but those that hear the, that receive preaching and receive the word ought to support those that are preaching the word. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be done unto me, done so unto me, for it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glorying void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Paul the Apostle says, I couldn't quit preaching if I had to. I'm not preaching because I'm hired to preach. I'm preaching because I'm called of God to preach. Now let me tell you something. I've said it time and time again. Any genuinely man called to preach I tell them to do anything else you, you want to do. If you can do anything else but preach, do it. But if you've called, been called to preach, you can't do anything else. It'll be so heavy in your heart, you'll be absolutely miserable anywhere else. And anybody around you is going to be miserable anywhere else. Some of the greatest misfits I've ever seen are men who are called of God today that are out in sales or doing something else. They're total misfits. Because they missed the calling of God in their lives. Verse 17. For I, if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. For though I be free of all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Paul says, first of all, I don't want, any, I don't want to be obligated to anyone. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why many times when people have come to me and said, you know, the Lord just laid my heart to give this to you. I said, wait a minute. The Lord told you to do this. Yes. Okay. If the Lord told you to do it, I'll receive it. And then later on, I had those, some of those same people, and this was many, many years ago, come back and say, you know, who's the ones that's been supporting you here? Who's the one? Now, we'd like for you to do this. You ought to consider that because we've been supporting you. I said, whoa, stop right there. 
I want to go back and state again exactly what I asked you when you brought that gift to me. I asked you, why are you giving this to me? Well, the Lord told us to do it. I said, then don't hang anything else on it. If God told you to do it, don't try to use me because of it. I won't stand still for that. I'll do what God tells me to do in this situation. And if you gave a million dollars into the ministry, I want you to know that it'll not have one bit of influence. When the time comes, I have to do what God tells me to do. What did Peter say to Simon the sorcerer? He said, your money perish with you. I don't want your money. Paul says, I'm not going to get tied down to you guys. I've had people say, boy, it must be nice to be a preacher and, you know, get all that income and stuff. <laughs> wonder where they were when we were making $15 a week <laughs> for the first 18 months, but then jumped up to 50 a week and then 75 a week and the church did all they could. And I thank God for the faithfulness of this church. But the church has always known they're supporting my ministry. They're not hiring me. I'll tell you, that's an awesome thing for me to understand too. That means I have to answer to God, not to you. I answer to God for the things that he calls me to do and asks me to do and shows me to do. First Timothy, the fifth chapter. We talked about this not too long ago, a week or two ago. It says, let the elders, verse 17, First Timothy 5, 17, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. And I said that word is honorarium, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Worthy of it, not his paycheck, not his salary, but worthy of his reward for serving the Lord. A good illustration of this is when I read of a missionary who was called of God, and everybody told him he wasn't called of God, but he knew he was called of God to go to Alaska. And he went to Alaska, and he had to make a living. He was working every day, uh, making sleds up there, uh, repairing sleds, I mean, and uh, going out and getting meat and freezing meat and making meat available to other people. And then on the side, he'd at night go out and and preach to other couples and teach them the, the Word of God, and they were starting to get saved. And after more and more people started getting saved, they wanted more of the Word of God. And he said, well, I'm doing all I can, but I've got to keep making the sled so I can make a living. And, be able to... and finally they came to him and said, wait a minute. We can make sleds. We can get firewood. We can go get meat for you. You just stay here and study the Word. We'll go out and we'll spend an hour extra a day, and we'll bring that stuff back to you. We'll fix the sleds for you and so forth. We want to free you up. We need the Word of God. Anybody can make sleds, but not everybody can feed us the Word of God. And it wasn't long before that the people that got saved began to support this man, so he didn't have to make his own living, and they supported the ministry that they knew he had, God had called him to. And he was able to go out and do what God told him to do. He was obedient to Christ. And he was not hired by the members. They just simply said, we believe God's called you for this. And we want you to be free to do it. Here, you just stay here with the Word and study the Word and teach us of the Word of God. I received a note from my sweetheart just before we were married. And she said, the greatest gift you can ever give me is to stay in the Word and teach me the Word. And teach me more about the Word of God so I can understand God's principles. That's what the calling of God is supposed to be, where with the disciples, when they thought they were so busy with the widows, they finally called and said, let's get some deacons together here. Boy, what a misconstruction of, of the beginning of that thing has taken place. I mean, deacons today hire and fire preachers, but back then they were servants. They were to go out and wait on tables. And the reason for that was so that we can give ourselves to the studying of the Word of God and doctrine and prayer. When we're led by the, the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be dictated by humans. You know, I just got thinking as I was sitting in Sunday school class this morning, I wonder if the, deacon, the board of deacons would have allowed Philip to go out in the desert in the middle of a revival 
in, there in Samaria when he started that church. Brethren, you know, I, I really feel I need to leave this revival and go out in the middle of there. Brother, we've prayed about this and we just don't see this at all. I, I really feel that well, uh, you're going to have to just kind of settle down. Now, you know, you've been an evangelist long enough. Now you've got to be a pastor. You've got to settle down a little bit here, preacher. Man's got to be free to hear what God has to say to him. I hope that you understand that I'm sharing these things with you because these were things I had to study for myself. When God called me into the ministry, I want to know, what am I getting into here? And I traveled from church to church to church all the time when I was in Bible college and then went out into evangelism and traveled from church to church and I realized there's a lot of confusion concerning who's a preacher and who isn't a called man of God. I've actually had men say this when people came against them in the church. I had a pastor one time in a large church. People started giving him a hard time and he said to one of the a group of the men one night said, I just want you to know something. I wouldn't even be in this church and I wouldn't even be a preacher today if my wife didn't feel called of God to be in the ministry. <laughs> Think about that. Here's a man up there every Sunday trying to beat his head against the wall and do it because his wife was called in the ministry. There are a lot of preachers out there that you have to know the ones that are called. And how do you know? Find out what the requirements are of a pastor. If they're called of God, then don't go in and try to hire them or fire them. Go in and support them. Support that ministry. Believe in that ministry. Why? Because God brings men in under the ministry, up out of the ministry, into their own ministry. That's the way God does it. All get the whole Timothy. Timothy comes up. Out he goes. The deacons are appointed as deacons. All of a sudden they're evangelists. All of a sudden they're apostles. They came up through the ministry. Faithful men teaching faithful men who teach faithful men. That's the way it happens. It's not going off to Bible college all the time, but thank God they've got Bible colleges. You have to be careful when you get there. Many are cold and a few are frozen. I've seen young people go away to the seminaries and come away deader than a dead cold fish. One pastor I appreciated one time in a big church, he got a young man out of a seminary that I had attended, and he came to me and he said, you know, the young fellow, he's a great young fellow. He spent four years at the seminary. It's going to take him about six years to get over it, but he'll, he'll be all right, I think. Well, what was he saying? The seminary was giving him a lot of stuff up here, but nothing down here. Where he was tearing the Word of God apart instead of letting the Word of God tear him apart. I want to tell you something. If you want to have an effective, any effect in your life, you let that tear you apart. Don't you tear it apart. It's right. You're wrong. In every instance. 